and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we discuss the most interesting and compelling headlines on Interfish.com. I'm Drew Cherry, Editorial Director of Interfish, and I am joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo in Seattle and Senior Reporter Lola Navarro down in Miami. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. All right. Well, let's start with China because the biggest news by far last month and I don't know, maybe maybe in a years uh, was the $800 million acquisition of uh, Chilean salmon farmer Australis by Legend Holdings. Uh, that's a massive Chinese conglomerate. Uh, and their subsidiary, Joy Vio, uh, acquired the company. And, and it, was, it was seismic. Um, Lola, you're our Chilean salmon expert. What was your take and, and what, were the, what were the people uh, down in Chile uh, uh, thinking when they, when they heard this news? Well, uh, yeah, the sale or the the agreed price was eight hundred and eighty million dollars, which was like the highest ever, and and it was very impressive. I think everyone there was well, or what they told me is they were very happy. They understood that was the right price, um, and it was also higher than the price of uh, Aqua Chile. Uh, you know, Agua Super bought it for eight hundred and fifty, so that's lower, and apparently or. Well, everyone knows that Aqua Chile is a bigger company, so that was surprising. Uh, but uh, also, they were saying that the Aqua Chile sale had um, had put a valuation on Chilean companies. It wasn't easy before because of the uh, new regulations and the <clears throat> and the number of concessions that companies have uh, that are unused and have lost a lot of value because they are not going to be able to be used in the future or it's going to take a long time to, to start using it. So it was very, very hard to evaluate a Chilean company. It all started with the, with the other acquisitions before, like Rio Sur, for example. But uh, but this uh, this price now, the $880 million, was something that people were very surprised. But at the same time, they said that it was putting uh, the, the value of the industry at the level of um, Norwegian salmon companies in terms of uh, valuation of a <clears throat> kilo of uh, Atlantic salmon produced, for example. So that was great news for the industry. I'm not sure how it's going to play out in terms of having a Chinese owner now in Chile. Uh, that's uh, apparently, according to the, com- to the industry and to, and to the experts, it's going to change uh, the way that uh, Chilean salmon goes to, uh, to China. And... I don't know, it's also going to be interesting to know if Australis, which is now a member of the New World Current uh, <clears throat> Consortium, is going to continue to be part of it or not. So, yeah, I think there is going to be interesting developments there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, legend, to put it in context, they've got $44 billion in sales. Uh, among its investments is Lenovo, a computer maker, which used to be IBM's uh, um, uh, computer division. So this isn't just any company. This is a massive, massive conglomerate. And Joy Vio, its food and agribiz arm, um, they've kind of had a pretty standard process that I think is that we're going to see in, in Chile, uh, which is they tend to acquire and bring that that agricultural supply right into their supply chain. So they've done it with kiwis, blueberries, and all kinds of other things to, to massive success. But you're right. Uh, Lola, it tends to have a completely a radical impact on on the sector that they buy into, and 
John, you know what this reminds me of a lot uh, in terms of the impact and in terms of, of the size of the deal? It reminds me a lot, uh, just to take you back to John Fredrickson buying into Marine Harvest. And um, I think we might see the same kind of, uh, of massive restructuring, at least in Chile, uh, because I, I certainly don't think uh, that, that this is Joy Vio's only move in Salmon. Yeah, it's interesting. I had two thoughts immediately when I saw the news. One, how far Chile has come from a few, not too many years ago, when they uh, had major disease problems, al algal blooms, all these problems that just drove down the value of that industry. And today, look look at the difference, you know. So that was my initial thought. And my second thought along the lines of what you just said, Drew, is, you know, how much volume of salmon, in this case, will China need in the future? Everything suggests a lot, right? Massive volume. So it, this is just another example of the Chinese trying to secure supply looking down the road five, ten, however many years they may be looking. And I, I agree with you. This I don't think this will be the last time we see this. And I don't know if it'll be all Chilean companies or they'll try and buy some Norwegian or Icelandic or whatever it may be. But um, it looks like you know this could be the first of, of many uh, purchases by Chinese uh, firms. Yeah, and let's think about that in terms of the global impact because, uh, you know, New World Currents, um, as you mentioned, Lola, uh, that that consortium of, of, uh, of five Chilean companies, now they went from nothing in 2013 to around $100 million in sales uh, as of today, and, uh, and they've seen huge growth, I think 15% this year alone. So when you think about China sort of turning on the spigot of salmon consumption. It's not just wow, look at this new uh, this new market. Um, that pulls products, that pulls supply from markets like Europe, from markets like the U.S. that have been the traditional drivers. So I don't know how much more inflation salmon prices can take, but if this demand uh, keeps up, uh, and if indeed uh, Joy Vio is going to uh, really draw a lot of products into the market, um, that's going to have a knock-on effect all around the world. Well, yeah, and production is, you know, in Chile and Norway, it's, you know, it's not capped by any means, but it's not growing, it's not going to grow, at least it doesn't appear to, at levels that might be needed to keep up. I, you know, it's hard to know, but, um, it, you know, there are definitely restrictions in both countries that will limit the growth. So um, less supply, more demand, pretty easy to figure out where yeah. this will go. Yeah. Um, I was at the China Seafood Expo last month as well, uh, and, and you saw salmon companies are out in force um, for one. That was that was one interesting thing. But this type of deal, we're seeing more and more. So I think, um, you know, our, our discussions with some of the financiers, you know, they sort of said that, that the tactic for Chinese companies are 
they sort of wait and watch, and then when they do buy in, it's massive. So Legend had acquired uh, Kalis Brothers, a small company in Australia, and uh, uh, China Starfish, which is a, a whitefish processor. So um, those are pretty small bites, and then all of a sudden they move in, in huge. But these types of relationships with uh, these major conglomerates, there was a couple of those that were struck or at least announced um, in Qingdao. One was Chang International. Uh, it struck a deal with a real estate giant, uh, China Vanka. I think that's how you pronounce it, or Vanka. Um, which, real estate giant, that sounds weird. But they have all these properties uh, and actually move products through their own systems into these properties. So they'll have retail, they'll have sort of a food service set up to bring uh, product into their, uh, into their system. So, um, so, so that was one really interesting thing. And then Alibaba's wind chain uh, subsidiary, they struck a deal with Pacific Andes, which Pacific Andes desperately needed. And it seemed like a new lease on life for them when we, uh, when we spoke with them. Um, but again, it's all about securing supply. And, and believe it or not, just because somebody needs product doesn't mean they're going to get it. And I, that's what I found the most interesting was, um, was John Liu, who's with Windchain. Uh, he, he gave a, a presentation at our, our, uh, our leadership event. And what he said was that it, it's actually very difficult for for them to break into the seafood industry because there's these long-standing supply relationships. And, you know, as he said, that's that's really, in a way, um, short-sighted, or at least they, they haven't seen... Uh, they haven't seen those relationships be so strong in other proteins. And maybe that's just sort of a... Um, maybe that's a lack of, of broader vision on the, on the part of the seafood industry. Or um, maybe it speaks to customer loyalty. I don't know. But anyway, we're, we're going to see more and more of these uh, deals struck. And I think when they come, they're going to be uh, big. I don't think we're going to see little nibbles. I think we're going to see major relationships struck when these companies are, are ready to enter the sector. But uh, once these big companies get involved, obviously more will follow. So we're not even close to seeing um, what what the end game is for uh, for Chinese conglomerates purchasing uh, buying into the seafood sector. So the other headline grabber last month was land-based salmon farmer Atlantic Sapphire. They officially kicked off their project uh, in Miami, where Lola, you were currently standing. You're at the Aquaculture Innovation Event, and that's largely focused on uh, RAS and land-based salmon. Um, th this was this was a big deal because it, it's the 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 kickoff the actual uh, the actual first stage um, of them putting in uh, four hundred thousand eggs and another four hundred thousand um, not long after uh, so so it, you know Atlantic Sapphire is definitely the darling and definitely shows the most promise to actually make land based salmon farming work so this was this was a milestone. Um, Lola, what are your takeaways so far from the show? Are you feeling like all this uh, excitement and enthusiasm for land-based salmon farming, um, is that going to turn into reality anytime soon, or how many of these projects do you think are going to fizzle out? Yeah, uh, well, definitely there is enthusiasm here about that. Uh, the Atlantic Sapphire one is the one that's actually grabbing all the attention, just because what you said, they just, it's the first um, 400,000 uh, eggs last week, but today they're stocking the, the other 400,000 that they talked about. And 
and yes this is the one that they're that they're talking about this is the one that they're saying it's going to work it's just a matter of, of when and and at which scale but this is going to work but then they were talking yesterday a lot about other RAS systems and and other projects and they're happening all over the place there was projects as everyone knows now in maine and there was um not only atlantic salmon there is also eel projects and <clears throat> seriola projects as well a lot is happening in norway so yeah like they were saying yesterday for investors right now it's just not a matter of a wide uh, land-based salmon or, or land-based uh, farming but uh, when when is it going to happen where is it going to be and how how do we have to invest in these projects but it is definitely happening now and the reasons are very obvious and everyone is is, is very excited about it and yeah this uh, of course this is about innovation and they are talking about the challenges there are still many challenges in in rust in in land-based agriculture uh, it, nobody has done it yet at large scale at least and and it's um it's definitely going to be a long way before it happens uh, john was talking before about uh, demand uh, growing and supply in, in traditional uh, networks not being not, not going to grow massively anytime soon so this is what the people think uh, going to be the source for salmon in the future this is what's going to happen but there is still a long way so uh, traditional farmers are not feeling a threat uh, from from land based yet but they were i was talking to a few to a few importers here from from chile and they were telling me that this is not a threat yet, but they are keeping a very, very close eye because this is going to be disruptive in supply. It's going to be also disruptive in, in the way that people buy. And of course, costs of land-based are still very high, so it's not as competitive. Um, but it, but it, if they eliminate the cost of, of transport, for example, that, uh, that's going to be bringing down uh, the overall cost. So, it's something that people are watching. It's gonna happen. It's still, well, it's not happening quite yet. Uh, but yes, it's coming, and it's and it's it's there is a lot of development. Yeah, and I think it's you know one sign of that, and um, maybe it's a little bit of a cautionary tale. There is um, year to date, uh, definitely the biggest winner. We we did a benchmarking of the publicly traded salmon farming companies and. Uh, what we saw far and away was Atlantic Sapphire had had the biggest return, over 150% return, which is, is shocking. Um, and they haven't really farmed much salmon at all, a little bit in their Denmark operations. Um, but but that says right there that there's incredible investor enthusiasm. So eh, hopefully that won't be misplaced. Um, I, I have to say, I tried the salmon yesterday, last night, the one uh, that you're talking about from Atlantic Sapphire, and it was very very nice people are talking about or uh, the problem has been off taste and things like that and i i didn't i didn't taste any of that so it was great it looked great and also retailers are saying that it's an easy sell so yeah it's it's going to be it's going to be a major source of uh, salmon supply sorry for the background noise nice. well you're you're on the you're on the show floor so no no worries <laughs> about that well okay so you're a pioneer then it, it definitely one of the one of the few in the world that have been able to taste the the salmon so uh, yeah, so yeah. yeah so they're they're um, they get a nice little review from you there Mm -hmm. um, just shifting uh, on to consumption. So uh, another item was uh, the European uh, Processors and Traders Association, APSI. Uh, they release an annual report called the FinFish Report. 
Um, and and it's, it's comprehensive. It's fascinating. It tends to be more focused on whitefish. Um, but they do a really good job trying to wrap their minds around what's happening with EU consumption. And what they found was consumption did fall. Not a lot. It was a slight fall. But it was a fall nonetheless. And... Um, I think though they see a bright future for uh, for seafood consumption in Europe, um, getting that supply it remains an issue. The European market is very mature, um, but they are going to have to to fight for that supply, and they're very concerned about trade barriers. Um, they didn't hit on Brexit much, which I don't blame them. That would have been uh, very very difficult to wrap their minds around. Um, but that's something to think about. Um, it it kind of harkens back to what we talked about with salmon, that there's going to be a lot of competition for supply, and we're not going to see much more uh, wild white fish out there in the market, with maybe a few exceptions of quotas going up and down a bit. Um, so, so that's something to keep an eye on. So um, 24.8 kilograms per capita. Um, one of the biggest shifts um, was that uh, people are moving away from whitefish imports from uh, China, or countries are moving away. And what that indicates, uh, ABC said, is that people are moving away from tr twice-frozen products from China. Um, and, and that's fascinating because I think the efforts to, um, to get uh, consumers to appreciate that difference on the part of uh, U.S. consumers has been interesting. And then, of course, Russia is shipping a lot more uh, fillets, frozen fillets directly into the EU market, value-added fillets. So um, something to keep an eye on. It, it, it seems like EU consumers are beginning to see that there's more um, value. And, and John, we're a little bit behind on getting uh, our per capita consumption numbers from, from NOAA, but um, any projections there and, and um, what have been the long-term trends that we've seen in the, in the U.S.? Well, uh, the, over the I guess the last four or five years, there's been increasing consumption in, in small pieces. Last year, it dropped back, which was disappointing. Um, as far as this year, yeah, the, the numbers are usually out by now. I talked to Noah uh, on a couple of weeks ago, I guess, and they didn't have any, any ETA for when these would, would be out. Um, but if you look at the um, import numbers anyways throughout the year as they've been progressing. You know, salmon and shrimp t uh, are basically up. So that suggests there will be an increase, but it's hard to say. It's hard to say from year to year. Um, if I was to bet, I would say consumption will be up. I just, I wouldn't know how much though. So um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to those numbers when they come out, but um, just just don't know quite when that's going to be. It's just kind of interesting to me that with all we write about as far as millennials and seafood fitting into all these health trends and everything like that, you, you look at the EU numbers, and yeah, they were down slightly, but why, why would they be down at all? I mean, you would think if all the stuff that we say about, you know, healthy trends and eat fish twice a week and all the things we write about, you would think that there would be a consistent increase in seafood consumption in Europe, in the U.S., elsewhere. But you're not seeing it. You're not seeing, you're seeing it in China, but that's a kind of a different dynamic. But in the mature markets, like the ones we're talking about, 
you just, you're really not seeing it. So that I, I I don't know what to think about that in the long term. Well, I think there's a long way to go, and uh, I think seafood companies have to do a, a a much better job about marketing their products. And I think they know, uh, they're aware of that. Uh, I just think they're they're um, they're not quite sure what to do. Um, but I do think there are changes in uh, in in management and strategy and in, in the way companies are conceiving of marketing and promoting their products and processing processing their products. Uh, that I think could be uh, uh, could be something that we we see changing consumption um, in in the coming years. I would agree with that, um, and I sure hope to see it come to fruition. Well, Lola, we're going to get let you get back to the show floor. Uh, thanks for joining us, um, John. Thanks for joining as well. Uh, remember that you can uh, find the latest news uh, on intrafish.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters. Um, we've got reporters all around the world, so um, everything that's uh, important in seafood you can find right there on our pages. We're also on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.